With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's for the city, man. Big, big, big bowing in clutch in the city. The Astros 2017 World Series Champion. The Houston Texans select. Clutch, clutch. Deshaun Watson. H-Town represent you. Holy Toledo. Oh, Toledo. The Rockets are world champions for the second year in a row. Now, Clutch City Sunday. Clutch City Sunday. 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 With Michael Connor. Clutch City Sunday. On Sports Talk 790. Oh, it is Clutch City Sunday here on Sports Talk 790. Michael Connor here with you until noon. Happy Mother's Day to all your moms out there listening to the show. Strap up, have your mom sit down and listen to the show until noon with you this morning as we are talking sports. Yes, sports. Are they coming back anytime soon? Good God, let's hope so. I'm tired of doing these shows on Sundays. Without live sports or without leading into an Astros game, typically we'd be getting you ready for a finale of a seat of a weekend series. The Astros are going to be in Minute Maid Park. It was going to be great. Probably get themselves another victory. Keep on rolling. But, you know, we do not have sports. We do have the Texan schedule release from this week that we'll get to throughout the show. You'll also hear from somebody with the Astros, that being James Click. He was on with Matt Thomas earlier this week. We'll do some of that in the second hour of the show. We'll look back at some of the Astros' moments on Mother's Day the last few years because, well, they've enjoyed some Mother's Day success the last few seasons. But we will get things started with the latest on the possible plan for the return for Major League Baseball because, good God, I am absolutely missing it as much as all of you are. Sorry, not going to sit here and break down a bunch of UFC because did not watch. It's just not my sport. If it is yours, congratulations. That is uh, something for you to watch. Last night I'm sitting there and I find myself not wanting to watch a ton of reruns of games all the time. Uh, throughout this time without sports because we know the result of a lot of them. But I have, early on at least, I watched a lot of Astros old games, which we will have another uh, re-airing of a classic Astros game coming up at noon since we do not have live Astros baseball to discuss. Uh, But coming up at noon, we'll have the 2018 opening day win against the Texas Rangers up in Arlington, coming off of, of course, the World Series victory the season before the Strohs hit the road uh, just up I-45 to take on the Texas Rangers with Justin Verlander making his first opening day start for the Houston Astros, a streak that probably can continue this season to make it three straight uh, as he's rehabbing from his injury from the groin and the lat that was bugging him in spring training. Uh, But with the the later start now, of course, putting him back into play with the possibility to start on opening day. But that 2018 day, Verlander was great. George Springer did it once again, leading off a season with an 
uh, solo home run off of Cole Hamels to right field. I was at the ballpark that day up in Arlington with Chris Lordy and Matt Thomas. It was it was pretty awesome to uh, take in the groan from the Rangers fans uh, in Arlington that afternoon where they're like, oh, good God, this Astros team still is really good, and they're going to kick our butts again, and that's what the Astros did that day. So that's coming up at noon. But again, we start with the at least plan, the tentative plan from Major League Baseball that they're expected to present uh, with the owners or talk about with the owners on Monday during a conference call and then present it to the Players Association later this week uh, at some point. This is all, you know, hypotheticals and nothing is set in stone. This is at least their blueprint. This is according to Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic who put this out uh, just yesterday with the latest on the plan for the proposal that they will send to the Players Association Run through the highlights of it. The regular season beginning in early July and consisting of approximately 80 games. That month, that number might not exactly might not be exactly 80. It could be 78 or 72 uh, as possibilities. The schedule would be regionalized. Teams would face opponents only from their own division and the same geographic division in the opposite league. An NL East club, for example, would face teams only from the NL East and AL East. A 78-game schedule might look like this. Four three-game series against each division opponent and two three-game series against each non-division opponent. Teams would open in as many home parks as possible, with even New York, the Major League City, hit hardest by the coronavirus potentially playing by early July. Toronto also might open by then, though non-essential travel between the U.S. and Canada is restricted through at least May 21, and all travelers to Canada are subject to a mandatory 14-day quarantine. Teams unable to open in their cities temporarily would relocate either to their spring training sites or major league parks in other parts of the country. The same would apply to spring training 2.0 if the leagues decide to use mostly home parks as opposed to returning to Florida and Arizona. Not all clubs, according to Rosenthal, agree they should train in their home parks, believing spring locales offer a less densely populated, more controlled environment. There would be an expanded playoff similar to the idea that the New York Post first reported uh, back in February with an increase from five to seven teams in each league. Under this plan, the team with the best record in each league would receive a bye in the wildcard round and advance to the division series. The two other division winners in wildcard with the best record would face the bottom three wildcards in the best of three wildcard round. Because games, at least initially, will be played without fans, the players would be asked to accept further reduction in pay, most likely by agreeing to a set percentage of revenues for this season. The idea behind such a plan from the league's perspective would be to protect the players and owners against the economic uncertainty by the virus. In March, the players in the uh, league agreed to prorate their salaries in a shortened season. Those salaries would cover the regular season only, while postseason shares are based upon gate receipts. If the players agreed to a set percentage of revenue they also uh, would share any additional national tv money generated by the postseason without the players making such a concession league officials say they will spend more on player salaries than they would in revenue for every incremental regular season game played without fans the union believes the opposite to be true and that postseason tv and other revenue will further enhance the league's financial position the salary issue remains a source of friction. If owners say it is not economically feasible to play games without fans, the union would almost certainly would ask 
to see financial proof. The teams do not provide the players of full access to their books. A number of other considerations, financial and otherwise, will enter the discussion between the players and owners. An expanded roster of as many as 45 to 50 is expected. The parties would also need to determine uh, medical protocols, for instance, how they would react if a player becomes infected with the virus. The final details are to be determined, but a preferred blueprint is in place. So that is the uh, general or the overview of the potential plan for Major League Baseball to return and there's still a lot of questions that come with this if you are going to lay this out by what they are at least expected to present to the Players Association this week somewhere between 78 and 82 games and again they're going with the playing only your division and the opposite division so for the Astros of course that would mean playing the AL West the Angels the uh, Rangers A's and the Seattle Mariners of course the Astros the favorite to win the division again but that would also mean playing the National League West and that would probably end up being a good benefit to the Astros if you're playing a schedule uh, this way the NL West is not great it's the Dodgers who are going to be awesome of course and you would have two three game series against them but that means you would also get to play a team that is lowly, like the Seattle Mariners in the San Francisco Giants. The Padres should be frisky, you'd think, but it is a team that's probably not expected to contend this season. The Arizona Diamondbacks were an overachiever last year, made some moves in the offseason, but the Astros are better than them. The Rockies should stink mightily, so those would be games that you would be looking at and saying, well, we should win a lot of them. This schedule specifically for the Astros this season, if it plays out this way, benefits them, in my mind, to go ahead and run through it and do very well in a shortened season. Of course, you never know with sports, you never know with injuries and all of that and how it's going to play out, but that specific scenario for the Astros, to me, makes it very, very uh, friendly to winning a bunch of games in a shortened season like they would have been favored to do in a regular 162-game season. I keep getting back to the question here with this sort of plan. So you're saying that you know if you're able to play these games in all these cities at home ballparks and your plan is to at least play them in New York specifically where it's been hit so hard in home ballparks without fans. We'll see about the Toronto aspect of it. If you're doing this and doing all the traveling like this, why can't you just play a normal sort of schedule with it, you know, kind of spread out or, you know, shortened in terms of how many games you play against each opponent? I guess from the logistics standpoint, this makes it easier, so I get it. But if you're traveling all over the place in the first place, I don't understand completely why you can't travel across the entire country. But again, just getting baseball back, if this what it is if this is what it takes to do it by playing your division and the opposite division that is in the same regional portion of the country as yours, fine, do it. I do not love an expanded playoff for Major League Baseball, even if it was a regular 162-game season. There are benefits and there are negatives to it to me. Having an expanded playoff long-term, if they were to do that, which they have talked about in the past, it puts a little bit more emphasis and maybe makes the league more competitive every single year to keep teams in the race all season long by having more teams in it. But I find that there's something very special to a you know smaller playoff. There is more you know likely that the teams that are great are always going to get there every single season because that is what we want, right? The best teams to get there every single year. You don't want a team that's not as worthy 
I guess if you're only expanding it by two in each side of the of the leagues, how many teams that are going to be just above 500 are going to make it? There's a lot to see as that plays out. But in this weird season, any of this scenario that they're playing out completely fine with it, the concessions that players have to make, and this is the interesting part of it in terms of money, and we'll get to our first time out here in just a few seconds. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, but if players are going to have to take a haircut, of course, on the money that they're going to get, I think Major League Baseball is right to say that we're going to lose out on a bunch of money with the loss of revenue at the gate this season. Players either have to say, okay, well, we'll take the pay cut this season significantly off of what we've already uh, agreed to and help you out now with the idea in mind that the owners in good faith come back and spend a bunch in the offseason this winter on free agents and contracts that players deserve it. If the players don't want to take a loss of money more than they have already this season, players better strap up and be prepared for, well, less money being spent on players that might have deserved massive, massive deals once the winter comes this year. And that obviously will come into play for the Houston Astros. And there is an aspect of this to it uh, that involves them with their biggest free agent that will be coming this off season. We'll get into that next. 713-212-5790 is the phone number to join us here on a Clutch City Sunday. Do you like this latest idea for Major League Baseball uh, on their potential return that should start games coming up in the month, early month of July? That would be great. We miss baseball mightily. Just getting it back is a win. Uh, but do you like that and how this affects the Astros spending now and in the future with one player in mind that has been brought up this week uh, when it comes to the uh, talk with the Astros GM James Click and the owner Jim Crane. We'll discuss that player and his future long term in Houston next here on a Clutch City Sunday. yesterday. Can't bring that in. Duke of Jam. It's Clutch City Sunday with some little Richard bringing us back here on a Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all of you. You can join us this morning at 713-212-5790. We should have again been leading you into Astros baseball once again today, but we don't have that. We will have the re-airing of an Astros classic, the 2018 opening day victory over the Texas Rangers up in Arlington, March 29th, 2018. Springer with a leadoff dinger. Excuse me, George, or, uh, Justin Verlander gets a win in his first opening day start for the Astros. Uh, that was a very fun day and hopefully some fun days in the future coming for this team. 
as baseball creeps back towards its return, potentially with the eye set on an early July start with a schedule somewhere between 78 and 80 games. It will be fast and furious, and it will be here, and then it will feel like it was over in a blink, I'm sure, if they are able to play somewhere between that and whatever the postseason looks like, and with or without fans. Would be cool, of course, to have them uh, out there. I do not know how a lot of you feel about Watching games, obviously, without fans in the stands, if you've been able to watch any of the Korean baseball organization that they've been running uh, on ESPN early in the morning, of course, and they've I think they've been running rerunning them uh, at least later in the day for those that aren't up at either 1 or 2 or 3 or 4 a.m. when they start. I get to watch some of them when I get into the studio here in the morning because I'm up that early with the Sean Salisbury show, 6 to 10 a.m. Uh, every single day, which we are here. But they've not been having, or they do not have fans in the stands there. It is awkward, at least when you look at it and you see a empty ballpark. And who knows, as you're going through a season, the grind of it, how players react to it. They, of course, love the emotion from it uh, when it's going on. There will be a little bit of the dog day feel to it when you're in, in a game where uh, let's say the Astros are playing the Mariners in the middle of August at this point in one of these you know four game series that they would potentially play against them and you're beating them 10 to nothing in the third inning because you're playing the Mariners and they stink and the Astros are very good at kicking the you know what out of them they only went 18 and 1 against them last season um it would probably stink to be in an empty ballpark at that point but it's what you have to deal with when I'm watching the Korean Baseball League game so far, I haven't sat here and said, this really sucks watching a game without fans on TV. Like, I mean, we go to the ballpark for the fan experience, and it's great, and we know what Minute Maid Park is like when it's juiced up and in one of these huge, huge moments. Hell, just going through a regular season game the last few years, it is electric in there more nights than it is not. And you won't have that, obviously, without fans in the stands this season. And, well, potentially the entire season – they're going to do everything they can and keep their fingers crossed that they can put fans in the stands at some point to get the revenue from the gate because they could absolutely use it uh, because it's a large chunk of the revenue for every single team each season. But from a viewing standpoint on TV, for me, it's not bugging me watching games being played, at least from the Korean side of it, the few that I've been able to watch, where they don't have fans in the game. The players seem pretty darn engaged. I know it's still early in their season, uh, they're into it. They're playing hard. They're doing all of that. But you would love to have it. It's not changing it for me. Maybe it'll change it for you. Maybe you will be sitting there watching that sort of game against the Mariners where the Astros are kicking the you-know-what out of them in the middle of this shortened season with no fans in the stands and say, well, I'm just going to go ahead and turn it off because there's no energy to it. And if the Astros hit a three-run home run to go up, say, 13 nothing. there's not that, oh, my God. Like we can watch. We've watched the Astros the last few years. They're playing... Oakland last year uh it might have been in August or it might have been September it might have been opening night for the Texans against the New Orleans Saints I believe it was and they're kicking the you know what out of the A's early and doing it but that ballpark was still just roaring because it's a lot of fun to be there and that does add to the TV value of it when you're going through those games to have the energy from it who knows what it'll feel like if we're watching those games without the fans but again just getting the games back is what we all 
one. We'll hear from James Click, Astros GM, uh, 11.30, some of the interview with Matt Thomas earlier this week uh, here on Sports Talks, or last week on Sports Talks 790. Uh, always good stuff with the new Astros GM. Really like listening to what he has to say. We've talked about it a lot over the last few weeks and months about what is ahead for his decision-making as a general manager and really with this team. And it all has the massive trickle-down effect, of course, with what is going on and what they will do in terms of spending in the future. Major League Baseball has agreed to a shortened draft this season, which is going to be something that definitely is a negative for the Astros, given the fact that they do not have a first or second round pick in this draft or next year's draft, just five rounds this season. So they will only have three picks in this draft. A system that has been great throughout the years, they've always talked about the long-term view of it having you know having the ability to keep a window open longer than most are when you have this sort of talent that the Astros have amassed it's what Jeff Luno came in and sold Jim Crane on and did a exceptional job of it early on and Jim Crane and the Astros and Jeff Luno took calculated risks clearly throughout it by trading away a lot of pieces from it, which is what you have to do when you get really good and you build up a system. You get a lot of guys that get kind of landlocked into spots where they're never going to be able to play for you at the major league level. And into the Astros, I guess, I don't want to say credit to it, but maybe their positive side to this. A lot of the trades that they have made where they've sent out prospects, nothing massive has happened with any of those players overall guys they've shipped out to where they've become big-time major leaguers uh, for the teams that they've been sent to. You can't write the uh, story, the end story, on what the Zach Greinke trade looks like a year ago, but that was the biggest haul that Jeff Luno had sent out at any point in his tenure as the Astros general manager to get Zach Greinke to put that team that was on a trajectory, and we know what ended up happening, getting all, all the way back to the World Series and losing in Game 7. Uh, but that was a move that we all applauded and loved, they go out and they get Granky to add to Verlander, to add to Cole, uh, another former Cy Young winner who's going to slot in as your third starter on this roster uh, that you have for a couple of years that makes the losing of Garrett Cole, which you did know was coming uh, after the season or during that season. You knew you weren't going to keep him. We all wanted to hope and pray that it would not play out that way, that we'd watch him pitch in an Astros uniform for years and years to come. But you were never going to be able to afford that. The Yankees went and spent over $300 million on the guy, and he's now theirs for the next 9 to 10 years, whatever it ends up being, at a very large dollar. But you mitigated the loss of that by having Grinky for a couple of more seasons, a guy that's still pitching at an incredibly high level, uh, even if he's not the type of pitcher that typically succeeds in today's baseball with big velocity and all that. So you did all that. You sent out the big prospects. Uh, that you had in that deal, and you might not view them as massive, massive prospects. And you know, it's publications that rank all these things, and these are guys that grind on it and do know what they're talking about in terms of the talent that is in a system. There's plenty of misses. I went back to it the other day. The uh, we celebrated Jose Altuve's 30th birthday. Happy belated birthday again to Jose Altuve, turning 30 the other day. Um, he was a guy that when he came up in 2011 wasn't even ranked, was never ranked in prospects. Uh, rankings throughout it. He was going into that season for the Astros. If you go look at the MLB.com rankings of their top 10 prospects in their system, he was not even listed. So you're always going to have a guy here and there that hits like that, that becomes an absolute superstar. And you're going to have a bunch of guys that are ranked that never end up becoming a thing. One of the top prospects entering that season in the Astros 
uh, minor league system was Giovanni Meyer, who never made it to the big leagues, was a first-round pick, uh, taken a few selections before Mike Trout was taken by the Los Angeles Angels. Um, but there's plenty of examples like that throughout a system. And you trade away a bunch of guys to get better inside your window to put you over the top. And with, again, having guys in spots where some of these guys will never play, it's risk that you have to take. But the Astros have to replenish that system now, given that they could be losing guys and the system has been depleted a bit, of course, with the graduations of Jordan Alvarez to being a big league player from a prospect. Uh, Jose Arquiti going to go the same way. Kyle Tucker officially exhausting his official prospect status this past year for the Astros when he came up and hopefully a long-term piece of this team moving forward but they have to spend to keep a lot of the guys and the biggest one is George Springer they are committed apparently to keeping him long term what will it take what will it cost them in terms of keeping players around let's discuss that next on Clutch City Sunday with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? Where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground. Cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Is an extension for George Springer in the cards to happen before the Winter gets here for the Astros this season. 713-212-5790 is the phone number to join us. It's a Clutch City Sunday. Michael Connor back here with you. Until noon, we'll hand things off to a re-airing of the Astros' opening day win from 2018 against the Rangers coming up at noon right here on your home for Astros Baseball Sports Talk 790. Lots of Astros talk to start the show this morning with the uh, plan being laid out there, at least from Ken Rosenthal, on what Major League Baseball is thinking they will present to the Players Association this week for their potential return with the idea of it being in early July, somewhere between 78 and 82 games for them this season. Uh, lots of thoughts on that, of course. But with this Astros team, we'll get to the Texans in just a bit, of course, with the uh, schedule being released this past week. A lot of hot takes, a lot of sizzle going on, but how we feel about that and how their season is going to play out. But George Springer is the biggest name that has the biggest effect for the Astros and their future spending at this very moment because he will be a free agent along with many other key players for the Astros after this 2020 season uh, if it, of course, gets going the way that baseball is hoping it will in early July. Uh, George looking to, again, be a Major League All-Star or at least a, an American League All-Star if they are, if there is an All-Star game this season. I do wonder... Obviously, I don't think they're going to play an all-star game, but do you even name all-stars at that point? But George, uh, in the final year of his uh, 
arbitration or player control years with the Astros. Six big league seasons. We know what he's done. Uh, been awesome. Three-time All-Star, World Series MVP, coming off the best season of his career last year. We're in 122 games. The guy hit 292 with 39 home runs and 96 runs batted in. If he could have played 150-plus, I mean, we're talking – Somewhere close to 50 home runs, probably, and over 120 runs batted in. Like he was having a monster, monster season at the plate for the Astros, and he has been a machine when it comes to postseason baseball. Didn't have a great postseason in terms of the batting average in the first couple of rounds. Struck out a lot, but still found a way to hit four home runs total in the postseason. Almost hit 300 in the World Series, a couple of home runs in that series as well. Lifetime 271 with 15 home runs in 50 postseason games. The dude is not afraid of the big moment and is being rewarded this season $21 million. Uh, they avoided the arbitration process. They came in, I think it was $17.5 million. George was looking for twenty. Two or twenty-three million, so there was a gap there of about five. It was close to five million bucks. But of course, we know what happened. Jeff Luno, he had typically been a guy that was a file and trial guy. There was no, there was no such thing as negotiations after you file your number. The player files the number. You're going to the arbitration. But the Astros, of course, let go of Jeff Luno not too long after that number from each side came out. And once the Astros did that. Quickly after Luno was let go, of course, with the fallout from the sign-stealing stuff along with A.J. Hinch, uh, Jim Crane stepped in. This is before he hired James Click and got a deal done with George Springer for this season, avoiding that arbitration process, giving him $21 million for this season, a number that George is clearly very comfortable playing at and very deserving of playing at based off of his season last year, a guy that is going to spend uh, this season, at least a, mo a big chunk of it, no matter how long it is, at the age of 30, turns 31 late September, uh, an older guy that the market typically in years past has not paid as handsomely as a younger guy typically would because baseball is very numbers-driven and analytically driven, and there's a lot of proof in the pudding that guys, once they get past that age of 30, of course, start to hit the decline, and George has some history of injuries in his past. Again, only playing 122 games last season, has played more than 150 just once. That was in 2016, played all 162 that year, then went 140 140 than 122 this past year. Look, for a team that's as good as the Astros, you can completely live with George playing somewhere between 120 and 140 games per season because they're going to win a lot of games. Uh, but it is part of your thought process in getting uh, a long-term deal done with a player that will be 31 years old when his new contract starts. The report was out there this week, and I think it was Chris Catillo who covers the Red Sox for Mass Live or something like that. He's a Young guy that's been covering baseball, broke a lot of stuff over the years uh, as he's rising rising through the media world as a baseball reporter. Uh, but he had it out there the other day that if the uh, – and again, who knows how all this plays out now with the coronavirus and the shortened season and loss of revenues for teams. The Boston Red Sox were, uh, to a lot of people, going to be set after the big trade this past year where they sent out Mookie Betts and David Price shipping out a lot of money where they would be spending – uh, this offseason, and their biggest target was going to be George Springer, who, outside of bets, is the probably second biggest bat on the market as a free agent this winter. Uh, George from New Britain, Connecticut, grew up going to some Red Sox games. The Red Sox have a idea in mind that, hey, let's bring this guy here. He's beaten us in the past. He's really good. He'd fit well in that ballpark. 
Let's go steal him from Houston, give him a big long-term deal because we have the money, at least the availability, the flexibility to do that now, given that we've shipped off a couple of people. Uh, you can debate whether trading off Mookie Betts and you know, basically flipping him from George Springer was the right move, but they got rid of David Price's contract, and that's what they really needed to do, so they did that. But that comes with the caveat of that report the other day that, yes, the Red Sox would like to pursue Springer when he becomes a free agent. Jim Crane made it very clear, apparently, too, and, of course, uh, Chandler Rome of the Houston Chronicle had this a few months ago and has, re or has mentioned it again a few times uh, in the last couple of weeks. But when Jim Crane and George got that deal done for $21 million this season, he made it very clear to his representatives, George's representatives, that he wants to get a long-term deal done with Springer to keep him in Houston. And I think that's obviously something that we would all sign up for, given that this has become one of the faces of the franchise, one of the best players to uh, do it for this team over the last few years. And if his, continue, if his career continues on this trajectory, would one day end up you know, right towards the top in a lot of statistical categories for the Astros uh, in terms of home runs, all that. I'm just looking at it the other day. Like, if he keeps hitting at the home run rate where he's averaging somewhere between 25 and 35 a season for the next five, six years or whatever, he probably ends up second all-time in franchise history in home runs. End up passing Lance Berkman, who I think had 326. George has 160 of them. Uh, George probably ends up getting there one day. And it's a guy that you would love to have as a lifer. He is a great, great example for the team, for the players. He is the lifeblood of that clubhouse every single season. He's the straw that stirs the drink. He's everything to them. He gets it going at the top of the lineup, and he has continued to get better at the plate as the years have moved along uh, as a big leaguer and a huge, huge threat. Probably he's not going to like what the market will pay him, in my guess, uh, when he gets there this offseason. If he was getting there in a normal year where you played 162 game season, uh, 162 game season, and let's just say he played to his career average for 162 games, that is a 270 hitter with 35 home runs and 93 runs batted in. That's going to get him paid handsomely. That's talking five years probably for a guy that's 31 years old, somewhere between 20 and $30 million per year. I would think that he probably ends up closer to the $25 million per year number uh, if he was to get to free agency after a normal season. But with the loss of revenue across baseball, what does his market do? Does it shrink massively given that he is, again, 31 years old? I think it absolutely does. I go look at a contract that was given out to Josh Donaldson this past offseason by the Minnesota Twins. It was four years, $92 million. He's a little bit older than George, uh, going to play this season at the age of 34, but he got a big number on the yearly average of over $21 million a season. That is the type of number that if you're the Astros, you're really, really hoping you can get George locked into. If you're getting him for five at 25 a year, I think you're going to be very happy with it. And it does... I think, help you in the long term keep more players than maybe, say, signing another player like Carlos Correa for the long term if you locked him up instead of George. You have other free agents, of course, to keep in mind. Josh Reddick, Michael Brantley, Yuli Gurriel, Brad Peacock, all free agents after this season. So basically, if Kyle Tucker isn't an everyday starter for you basically this season – and looking towards the future, if you don't think he's going to be an everyday outfielder for you moving forward, you're looking at losing all three outfielders after this season. That's a problem, an absolute problem. You cannot afford to do that 
Redick is actually back in play to me to be here again after this season, barring that he doesn't come out and just absolutely stink because his number of $13 million bucks is going to come down. Like He's a 5 to $7 million a year player at this point of his career at best, I think, and you know it's not a long-term deal if you're getting him done. You would love to keep Michael Brantley if you can, but again, an older player playing this season, I believe at 33 years old, $16 bucks this season, but if he hits like he did last season... He's going to want $16 million bucks again for his next year or his next deal, however long that might be. So maybe keeping George and getting it somewhere between that $20 and $25 million a year number helps you do it uh, in terms of keeping at least two-thirds of your outfield next season. How much Yuli Gurriel gets if he gets there, of course, if he matches last season, how can he not make more than $8 million bucks again after this season? I don't think he'd be too expensive given his advanced age as well, but this is all things that James Click has to continue to think about. But getting a deal done with Springer absolutely, to me, is the right play and I think the most likely play for what is going to go on with the Astros in terms of their future spending uh, after this season concludes. Because after this season, you'll be going into the final years for a lot of key players once again. Zach Grinke, Justin Verlander, Joe Smith... Martin Maldonado, Roberto Ozuna, Carlos Correa, Lance McCullers, and Chris Davinsky all said to be free agents after the 2021 season. You're going to have to spend on the pitchers, clearly, because you could be staring at like you're doing this winter, where I could be losing all three of my outfielders. You could be standing at losing three-fifths of your rotation next year with Granke, Verlander, and McCullers potentially walking, and it's going to get expensive to keep any of them, period. Of course, the long-term deal is something that's not happening for Grinky and Verlander, and that helps to keep those now. But if Verlander is Verlander this year, and again next year, he's still going to want 30-something million bucks a year because he's not going to settle for anything less, and I don't blame him for that. And guess what? You have to pay him. You have to keep him if he keeps pitching like Verlander. Grinky's an interesting one. If he keeps doing what he's doing, he'll still be expensive. How long does he want to pitch? Uh, does he want to stick around here? Who knows exactly what goes on with him. And Lance McCullers might not have the career that says, i got to pay him a ton of money, but if Lance McCullers pitches well this season and next, the market's going to pay him a bunch of money. He's going to get himself $100 bucks in his next deal for a long-term deal because of his age and still the stuff that he has, which is incredible. I think it's set up to where if you keep George Springer this uh, after this season with an, with a long-term deal, you hopefully keep Michael Brantley or Josh Reddick around as well. Uh, you can hopefully keep the other guys that are free agents too. And then you go in with the mindset of, I'm going to keep two-thirds of those three free agents that are uh, pitcher, starting pitchers after this season. And then I'm probably going to be staring at after this year, trading away Roberto Ozuna and trading away Carlos Correa. Absolutely going to sting, going to hurt, going to make your team a little bit worse for next season. But it is something that could help replenish your system that has been thinned out and keep your costs down that is very much in play for the Astros, uh, I think, coming up in this winter. Just keep them all. Go over the top, please, Jim Crane. I'll sign the check for you now. It's not my money, but spend all the money that you can and pay all the luxury tax bills that you have to to keep these guys around. Please, 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 please. Coming up at noon, we will, or excuse me, at 11, uh, we'll talk about the Texans and the schedule coming out. But when we return, a quick little jog down memory lane as we're missing baseball to wrap up some of the thoughts on baseball here in this first hour. A look back on some Mother's Day fun for the Astros next here on a Clutch City Sunday.
it's just it's a great song, but it makes you miss baseball. Sun is out today. Man, it would have been a beautiful day to have the roof open at Minute Maid Park. May 10th, roof open at Minute Maid Park never happens usually this late in the year, but it probably would have been open today. <sighs> would have been open yesterday, too. It's great weather. Instead, we don't have baseball. But this song just pulls at your heartstrings, man. We're ready to play baseball. Let's go. Get it back together. They are ready to play. I'm ready to watch. Tired of watching old games. Tired of playing MLB The Show, even though I love the game. I need real baseball back. Mother's Day, though. Happy Mother's Day to all of you here on a Clutch City Sunday. Michael Connor back here with you. We're going to get into the Texans here at the top of the hour. The schedule release... Uh, this past week, but Mother's Day has been some fun for the Astros in the last couple of seasons. Just want to take you down memory lane for a quick second. Just one year ago at Minute Maid Park, it was a special, special day because Corbin Martin made himself a big league debut that was very memorable. Of course, he is no longer a member of the Houston Astros as part of the trade that went to uh, Arizona to bring Zach Greinke here to Houston, but it was a fun day at Minute Maid Park on Mother's Day last year. George Springer will lead things off, and George Springer delivers one to left, and this game starts with another Springer leadoff home run. Springer's 29th leadoff home run of his career, and the Astros out quickly, one to nothing. What a crowd today, great Sunday crowd for the Astros, as Bregman goes deep to left field. Four-nothing Astros, two-run jack for Alex Bregman. Bregman deep to left center field, got a chance, goal! <laughs> this is great. I love Mother's Day. Alex Bregman delivers a three-run home run after a two-run home run. And the Astros breaking it open. Ten to one. George deep to left field, are you kidding me? Up on the train tracks. The Ford train has just left Union Station and is having a career day. Five for five. Yeah, George Springer had a day. Alex Bregman had a day. 15-5. Astros beat the Rangers on Mother's Day last year at Minute Maid Park. Springer, five for five. Four runs batted in. Two home runs. Five runs scored. At that point of the season, he was hitting 321. He was pretty darn good. Alex Bregman, of course, popping a couple. Part of a three-for-five day. Carlos Correa drove in a run. Yuli Gurriel drove in a run. Alemis Diaz drove in a couple. Tony Kemp drove in a run. 15 runs for the Strohs in the ball game. Those two homers for Springer gave him 15 on the season. The two for Alex Bregman gave him 12 on the season. And again, Corbin Martin made the start that day, his major league debut, five and a third, two runs, three hits, nine strikeouts, one walk. It was like, oh boy, here we go again. The Astros have hit on a prospect who's come in here and looked amazing in his first start, unfortunately, for Corbin. 
Uh, things went pretty darn poorly after that. Uh, then eventually would have Tommy John surgery. His next start wasn't all that bad, but wasn't all that great. Took a lot of work to get through it. Uh, the next few starts, it was always a lot of the same. He was getting very, very high on pitch counts when he was out there for the Strohs on the mound. Uh, but then he went back down and then eventually shipped off to the Diamondbacks as part of that deal. But still a special day for a Houston product from I believe it's Cy Ranch out there, my old neck of the woods. I went to Jersey Village, of course, but uh, that was a cool day for him. Again, 15-5, and a year before that, the Astros are playing the Rangers again. One more little moment or little rundown memory lane from Mother's Day 2018. Delivers. And Gaddis pokes this one to left field, and that is a no doubter. A two-run shot by Gaddis. Here's Carlos Correa. And this ball's hit deep to left field. Correa watches it. Good home run. 5-0 Astros. And they would win that game 6-1. Two straight Mother's Day wins for the Astros against the Texas Rangers. They've technically won their last three Mother's Day games. They've played four Mother's Day games in the last three years. They played a doubleheader against the Yankees in 2017 in the Bronx. Uh, lost the first one that day, but then won the second one by absolutely bombing out Masahiro Tanaka. Springer hit two homers in the first two innings of the game. Alex Bregman hit a grand slam in the first inning, and it was Derek Jeter night. Kind of spoiled that night. That was a lot of fun. It's always nice when the Astros do something to spoil something for the Yankees, but they're very good at that. But that win in 2018, that last one there against the Rangers, Dallas Keuchel, seven shutout innings, only three hits. Uh, the bullpen picked it up from there as the Astros won it 6-1. to one. Homers again for Evan Gaddis, Carlos Correa. It's been a good run that we've had with the Astros, and they've loved hitting with those pink bats on Mother's Day over the last few years. And unfortunately, we do not get it today at Minute Maid Park. I'll play it on MLB The Show. You'll find out how they did tomorrow on the blog, sports790.com. But again, getting baseball back at some point would be absolutely fantastic for the Astros to hopefully get back out there and make uh, a lot of pitching staff say, good God, playing this team absolutely sucks. Sucks, 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 sucks. For us, it's awesome. They have the talent to do it again this season. And again, if they're playing a schedule where it's the AL West opponents a couple of times in four-game series with the NL West opponents a couple of times in three-game series, They're going to be playing inside a division that has some teams that they can absolutely beat up on specifically in the, um, or at least in their division, in the Seattle Mariners. Who knows what the Angels look like? Uh, The bats should be good, but who knows again with the pitching. And again, in a shortened season, you can have a team that might not have the overall talent that you do uh, as a team that can outplay their, you know, talent level for a good stretch of games. We see it every single year where you can go find portions of a schedule where a bad team or a team that finishes below 500 plays out of their mind baseball for two months and is well above 500 and is one of the best teams in baseball. It happens. It brings it into play, and it could happen this season, but when you get to play the likes of Seattle for at least eight games, hopefully. Hopefully you'll be going at least 7-1, and 8-0 and against them after going 18-1 and one against them a year ago. I look at the Rockies, you play six games against them. I'm penciling in 5-1 and one there. Same goes maybe for the Giants. That's a lot of your wins that you need every single season, and hopefully the Astros will be 
getting to do that here again sooner rather than later. 713-212-5790 is the phone number to join us here on a Clutch City Sunday. We'll head into the final hour of this Mother's Day edition of the show. The Texan schedule was released this week. The thoughts on it? Are you freaking out yet? Are they going to go 16-0, 0-16? What will it be? We'll hear from Bill O'Brien as well next here on a Clutch City Sunday. For the city, man. Big, big, big ballin' in Clutch City. The Astros 2017 World Series Champion. The Houston Texans select Clutch, Clutch. Deshaun Watson. Now, Clutch City Sunday. Clutch City Sunday. 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 With Michael Connor. Clutch City Sunday. On Sports Talk 790. Second and final hour of a Clutch City Sunday here on Sports Talk 790. Michael Connor with you. 713-212-5790 is the phone number to join us over the next hour. We'll get back to the baseball. James Click, you'll hear his interview with Matt Thomas earlier this week coming up at 1130 on a week where we didn't have a lot, of course, going on in the world of sports. Uh, again, we will have a re-airing of the 2018 opening day win for the Astros over the Texas Rangers coming up at noon following the show today. But the biggest thing in the world of sports this past week was the uh, release of the schedule in the NFL, the Houston Texans. If you have missed it for whatever reason, their schedule is... Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Is out. Let's just run through it very, very quickly. Not a win-loss thing, but week one, of course, will be the first game of the season in the NFL, if it goes, at least in terms of the scheduled start time, September 10th, Thursday night football in Kansas City on NBC against the Super Bowl champion Chiefs, who ended the Texans season in a very, very horrible and brutal way to watch it as a Houston sports fan last year. Then they come home for the Ravens at the Steelers, home for the Vikings, Jags, uh, at the Titans, Packers, then the bye week, then they go to the Jaguars, then at the Browns, home for the Patriots, at the Lions, Thanksgiving, their only other national television game this season. Of course, you could have flexing later in the season, but given the opponent's Looking at it late in the season, probably it's only going to be a two-primetime uh, game season for the Texans. Uh, after that Thanksgiving game, they come home to play the Colts, then they go to Chicago to take on the Bears, then they're at the Colts uh, in late December, and then they finish the season with two home games against the Bengals and the Titans. Look, we've known the opponents for a while, and we have this massive freakout in these long um, schedule release shows when they happen, but we've known them. 
Now, how it plays out in terms of how you schedule it, and again, this is all, of course, barring that the season gets started on time, September 10th. There has been talk about the possibility of if they can't get the season going on that date of September 10 to where they would move the Super Bowl possibly back and move the first four games maybe to the end of the season for each team and still play a full regular season. There's a lot of scenarios still in play, but the NFL has been going about it with the thought process of playing their season on time, playing it in full, and not having any issues, and the hopeful uh, thought of having fans in the stands from week one on. The Texans' first seven weeks before that bye is absolutely brutal on paper. But again, it's still always on paper. If we're talking about Vegas and you know the lines makers for these games, we've already seen a line on the Texans game when it they put out all the week one lines, a couple of the books in Vegas uh, when the schedule was was released. Uh, they were a ten and a half point dog instantly against the Chiefs that night in Kansas City to open the season, which well makes a lot of sense because you're going on the road to the Super Bowl champion. Uh, the motion of that event for them and. It's still football. The Texans did win there last year against the Chiefs um, in Kansas City during the regular season, but they're awesome. And you had an offseason where you might not have the thoughts that this team can be is any better. I am not sitting here thinking that they're any better. I'm hoping that they're about the same, but there is every reason to believe as well that they're not as good as they were last season just based on the lack of overall massive additions on the defensive side of the football. And to me, that's where it's going to keep coming back to is they're probably going to be worse on the defensive side of the football this year. Offensively, they could be about the same. They could be more dynamic and maybe score more points at times and look a little bit prettier in terms of big plays and big numbers put up at times. But they're relying on a bunch of guys that have some health issues uh, who haven't been as good as they're made out to be by the head coach and GM. But those first seven games are going to clearly test them. They're going to be dogs against the Chiefs. They will be a home dog against the Ravens, who have the reigning MVP, a team that went 14-2 last year and absolutely obliterated you in Baltimore uh, after you were coming off of a long layoff uh, after the London game. At the Steelers, with Big Ben back, we'll see how they look in the first couple of weeks, but on the road, they're going to be a dog there in terms of Vegas. They'll finally be a, a favor a favorite in a game, you would think, when they return home to play the Vikings, they'll be a favorite over the Jags. On the road against the Titans, they'll probably be a slight dog, maybe a three-point uh, dog there where the Titans are given the... And it, it depends on how the Texans are playing at that point, clearly. I mean, they could be off to a horrible start and they'd be a massive dog in terms of the numbers there. But, you know, I know the Titans are playing in the AFC Championship game last season. Their defense was really good. Their offense, it's not a massive dynamic offense that can just cut you up. Ryan Tannehill was really good last season when he played, but is he a guy that's going to go out there and outduel Deshaun Watson if it gets to that point in that type of game? Probably not. And then you come home for a Packers team that you know Aaron Rodgers is going to be playing pissed off this season, and they're still going to be, you would think, pretty darn good. They won 13 games last season. If even if you haven't loved their offseason and their draft, they're basically bringing all those a lot of those guys back uh, overall to where they should still be contending and probably at least thought as the favorite in the NFC North this season once again, the real it's a very real possibility that the Texans go through the first seven games of the season before the bye and go 2-5. and five. But I can also sit here and look at it and say, if you go 4-3, and three, I feel good about it because there's a lot of tough games. And again, we play it on paper. They're going to win a game. They're going to win a game or two a season like every team does that you don't expect them to win. 
And we know this is a lock with the Texans every single year. They're going to lose a game or two where you never see that loss coming. They did it against, what, the Panthers last season? Embarrassing. Early in the season at home. A team that you should never be losing to like they did. They did it against the Denver Broncos where they got the bleep kicked out of them against a second-round rookie quarterback and Drew Locke. I mean, and they were punked in the first half, and it was never close. So you can't completely go to the well, this is going to happen, that's going to happen, because again, this is sports, and we never exactly know. That's why we play the damn games. But again, when you look at it now, with what has gone on, there's reason for pessimism, clearly. Um, or to be pestim- pessimistic? I'm never. I'm not good with that word. Um, because the schedule early on looks brutal, again, in those first seven games before the bye. When they come back from it, I mean, look, it, they could come out of the bye and reel off one, two, three, four, four wins in a row there. Like, you could realistically see that. They're playing a Jags team that's going to stink. A lot of people have the thought that the Browns are going to be better this season, but I keep sitting here at this at this with this thought process that until the Browns are good, I'm not going to believe the Browns are good. They're a disaster in terms of drama. Their quarterback is always, he's got, he hears everything apparently, and he wasn't good last season. So again, until they are good, and if he plays like he did his rookie season, then maybe I'll believe it. But right now, I can't sit here and say, well, their Texans are guaranteed to go to Cleveland and lose to a good team there because they're not good based off what they did last season. The Patriots will be here. They beat them with Tom Brady last year. They haven't done much in terms of weapons that you think they're going to be better. And it sounds like Jarrett Stidham is a lock to go from week one as the starter. Does he hold on to that job all season long? Does he look like a legit NFL quarterback and a future starter for them long term? We'll see. But if he is playing there, guess what the Texans will be when they play them at home? They'll be the favorite. And then going on the road to the Lions, they've done some things to clearly help their team, but they're still the Lions. And is Matt Stafford still healthy at that point of the season? Um, Who knows? And they could be a complete disaster to where Matt Patricia's already been fired. And we know what happens to some teams when teams or when coaches get fired during seasons. They either get really good or they just completely shut it down and suck. And that team sucked last year. I know Stafford was out a lot, but... You're looking at that part of the schedule where you could say, okay, they'll come out and they'll win four games in a row there. They could win five because the Colts will be at home. As much as you might fear the Colts, and look, there's reason to fear the Colts. They have a very, very solid group. They've made solid additions to it. Their quarterback spot this season should be better than what it was a year ago, clearly with Phillip Rivers, even at the advanced age that he is. The ability to keep him upright, maybe he cuts teams up and looks like really, really good Phillip Rivers, and they are the favorite in the division this season. At the Bears, again, who knows what they're going to be at that point of the season. Their quarterback is no bueno, uh, but it could be Nick Foles. Then at the Colts, home for the Bengals, you should win. Against the Titans at home, you feel like you should win. I keep seeing it the way I'm looking at it. There's, you know, Last season, I thought it would end up being a, an 8-8, eight 9-7 and, eight, and seven type of year. They won 10. They won the division. That is one thing that we can give Bill O'Brien credit to as the years have gone on is that his teams have more often than not actually continued to play hard throughout a season and have ended up with winning records as much as they make us mad, and it's not all that impressive maybe when we look at it in the long view because we get tired of the same thing over and over where you're you know, you're a few games over 500, you have some division titles, but then you get smoked in the playoffs. Nothing's going to change for our thoughts on them with that until they go out and they change that, kind of like I was talking about the Cleveland Browns, and you're not going to believe they're good until they're actually good. But this schedule, this season, again, it does not look like it will be 
fun early on, and here is Bill O'Brien on playing the Chiefs and Ravens in the first two weeks. Yeah, tough two opponents to start the season with. They're all tough, right, Drew? But, you know, I think coming back home to be able to play Baltimore, another great team, playoff team, great coaching staff. Like you said, Lamar Jackson, excellent players on that team. Going to be a great experience for us, a great opportunity for our, our players uh, to be able to play in front of a, you know our hometown fans and uh, play against a great opponent. Hopefully you don't you know lay a complete egg against the Ravens like you did in the regular season and the complete egg that you laid against the Chiefs in the postseason last year. Uh, playing Thanksgiving, again, that'll be fun. Second time that they've done that. Won a wild one against the uh, Lions, I believe it was 2014 on Thanksgiving Day. Of course, that was the game where the referees missed a Justin Forsett, I think, elbow down on a, on a long run that was a touchdown. Um, they had the... Good God. Uh, Adamican Sue kicked Matt Schaub in the nuts that game. It was fun. It was wild. The Texans ended up, ended up winning it uh, in overtime. But here is Bill O'Brien on playing the uh, the Lions, excuse me, on Thanksgiving. That's another great opportunity, just such an NFL tradition to be one of the teams to, to be able to play the Detroit Lions, who are always on Thanksgiving. Uh, coached in that game before, and uh, you know it's an exciting game to be a part of, and another really tough NFC North opponent, national TV game. That's what it's all about, right? Football and turkey on Thanksgiving, and we'll be a big part of that. Yeah, hopefully that you uh, or hopefully the Texans don't make us want to go into an early food coma that day against the Lions uh, on Thanksgiving. It's a little bit weird to me that they're only playing two games in primetime. I. I get it from the national draw. The Texans aren't a massive draw because they're the Texans. Their quarterback says that they should be a big draw because, well, the guy, he's got a lot of fans across the country, and he's really, really good, and he puts up exciting, exciting moments more often than he doesn't uh, on a weekly basis, and any game can be won when you have that guy back there at the quarterback spot. But to only have two, to not have a Monday night game, or you know they have a Thursday game, but to have a Thursday night game at some point, or even a Sunday night football game, it's a little bit weird, especially given when you go look at the national TV broadcast schedule that has the Patriots featured five times on national TV this season without Tom Brady. They're the Patriots. They have a built-in audience. People are actually going to be intrigued. But what happens after the first few of those national TV games? They come out and they suck. Your ratings for those other games might end up being terrible as well. It was just a little bit odd to me because the Texans have actually drawn quite a few national TV games over the last few seasons, and I think they're clearly watchable just based off of the quarterback that they have in Deshaun Watson to only have two of them. Weird, but I get some of the national TV audience that you do not get when they play. Then you go look at the rest of the schedule. I mean, okay, you have the the primetime game against the Chiefs. That makes a lot of sense. And the Chiefs' schedule, when you go look at it, it was probably the best opponent that you could put against them based off of last season and playing them. Uh, for that first game of the season. They didn't have any other big time like, whoa, the Chiefs should be playing that team week one to start the NFL season. The Ravens week two, that one, I mean, look, Lamar versus Deshaun, that's a big draw. That one should be national TV, you'd think, but you don't want to do that two weeks in a row, I guess. Maybe you can make the case that the Steelers game could have been a national TV game. No for the Vikings, Jags. Sorry, no for the Titans. The Packers one could have been worthy of it, but I get where you're you know, not doing that for that game there. Uh, the only other games that you're sitting there staring at and you're saying, well, this could be a national TV game is one of the games against the Colts, probably. Or maybe the last week. Or, well, I don't think they don't play. They play Sunday Night Football in the last week of the season. I got to go back and look. I don't think they do. But there's not a ton of games, again, where you look on the schedule where it's like, oh, they should have played more national TV games. So 
you know, from a viewing standpoint, I don't mind a noon game. I kind of love it because we can get it out of the way. Not that I'm saying I want to get the games out of the way. I just like waking up on Sunday and look for this show leading in uh, technically to some Astros baseball and some Texans football. Completely fine with that. Uh, every single week. 713-212-5790 is the number to join us. Uh, we will talk more Texans. Deshaun Watson, the contract situation. Uh, some thoughts from Aaron Wilson of the Chronicle next on what the number could be like and what the negotiations might be going towards uh, with another guy out there on the market or a couple of guys on the market looking for big money as well. Clutch City Sunday right here on 790. Clutch City Sunday here on Sports Talk 790. Coming up in just about 10 minutes, you'll hear from the Astros GM, James Click. A little bit of the visit with Matt Thomas earlier this week here on 790. Talking about the Texans, though, they're scheduled being released this past week. Of course, the biggest thing sticking around out there for them is the contract for Deshaun Watson. They got some stuff done, of course, whether you love it or not, uh, what they've done. But getting the Larry Tunsil deal done, uh, a few weeks ago with him for the long-term deal that they needed to get done with him. The Texans now moving on, at least in the thought process that's been put out there, is that they're trying to get the negotiation started with Deshaun Watson for his long-term deal. And Aaron Wilson of the Chronicle was on with Ross Villarreal yesterday, the Sports RV show. A uh, quick couple of thoughts from him on the Deshaun Watson situation. And we'll go back first to the DeAndre Hopkins trade and what was Watson's thought process after that? With Deshaun Watson, you know, did he like the DeAndre Hopkins trade? No, obviously not. He did not like that. And I'm told that, you know, he was upset about it, but he's calmed down about it. He's he's fine. He's willing to sign a deal. He wants to make a lot of money with the Texans. He's all in. He does want to make all the money with the Texans, which, of course, is a good thing. And I think that the uh, thought that kept getting put out there that Deshaun Watson will be looking to move on to somewhere else in the future uh, when his time comes to be a free agent was always a little bit silly. How often do we see a quarterback of that level in the prime of their career move on from where they are playing at the moment? It doesn't happen. Teams will do everything they can to keep these guys clearly with the system in place to franchise tag and all that to where you can have control for a very long time that pays them a lot of money. But... I get it that a player might not be happy and you do question that this guy would want to be here long term, but at the end of the day, quarterbacks typically don't move around. The best NFL players aren't bouncing around all over the place. You can find exceptions to the rule in any you know, argument that you want to make. Of course, we just watched Tom Brady go off to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tom Brady's 43 years old. This is Deshaun Watson who's young in the very early stages and in the prime of his NFL career with another level to still get to for himself personally. The Texans are going to pay him a massive amount of money, no matter what, and anybody, I think, outside of a trade, which, of course, you cannot sit here and think anything other than Bill O'Brien's crazy and he could trade anybody at any given moment, but he's not trading Deshaun Watson. They're locked into the future with Deshaun Watson. He's made it clear with that. It's on their mind for what they do with their future spending and getting this deal done is going to happen. The continued thought is what's the number going to look like with Deshaun Watson when he gets there, or at least when they get this deal done. The number for me continues to be 40. Here is Aaron Wilson of the Chronicle on that $40 million number. The timing of it between Mahomes and Watson is, you know, really bears watching because 
if you're Watson and you go first, then there's a chance that you're not going to be as close to Mahomes as you should be. You know, if Mahomes makes a little bit more, what if Mahomes came in at 43 and then you came in at 39 and you could have been in the 40s? I, I think you just everything's got to start with 40. That's the number. And I'm with him. It's wild to think that that is going to be what it is. We've talked about what the market at the moment is paying quarterbacks in the NFL. We know it's paying them a lot. We know that the top numbers are in the mid-30s right now. There are three guys specifically that are sitting here looking at getting their big long-term deals at that quarterback spot. Three franchise guys. That, of course, being Dak Prescott, who was tagged, but the Cowboys are hoping to continue to get or to get that deal done sooner rather than later um, before this season starts. He is on the books this season for $31.5 million with that tag. The top average per year in the NFL for a quarterback is Russell Wilson at 35. Then you have Ben Roethlisberger at 34, Jared Goff at 33.5. Same for Aaron Rodgers. Kirk Cousins is at 33. Carson Wentz is at 32, and then Matt Ryan is just behind Dak Prescott at 30. So there's plenty of guys getting 30. The future of this league with the numbers for quarterbacks, with the uh, the salary cap that's going to continue to rise over the next few years is going to be $40 million. And it's going to happen with at least two of these three quarterbacks that are sitting there looking for their long-term deal coming up very soon in Deshaun and Patrick Mahomes and in Dak Prescott. Now, I do not believe still that Dak Prescott's going to get $40 million a year. He's a very good quarterback that has completely won me over that he is a he is worthy of being a franchise type of guy. Then he can take them to another level possibly. But I still look at him and I watch him compared to Deshaun and Patrick Mahomes. And there's still a gap for me personally. And I think that most people would say the same. They're, he's really great, but he's not those guys. $35 million, though a year is probably what he's looking at, I think, minimum. And so... If you're Deshaun, the Texans do have a desire to get this done hopefully before the season starts, but they don't have to rush it. They can wait until next year if they want to do this. And it would probably be smart to get it done now if you can, clearly, so you don't have to pay even more. But there's no motivation on that other side other than wanting your long-term deal locked up now and mitigating any risk that you could have between now and it coming, of course, with injury because it's still the game of football. Deshaun, though has to have Dak done first. You know, you, this could they all are connected to each other and they could very well not be connected to each other when in terms of pay. Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in football. He's deserving of being the highest paid and he's going to end up being that. Deshaun maybe for a minute will be that guy if Pat doesn't get his done first. We're talking five best quarterbacks in the league. Deshaun Watson's basically in there at this point. And in terms of pay, he's definitely in there. He's that damn good. And he should get only better. Hopefully his coach doesn't you know, keep him from getting any better anytime soon, but we'll see how that goes. If you're the Texans, though, today, and you're sitting here looking at this, I'm going to Deshaun right now. I'm offering him $40 million a season in terms of the average. I'm just going to go ahead and set that number and hope that it gets done. Now, there's the risk on your side of it that if you go to that, if you go to him and offer him $40 million on average per season with 90-something of it guaranteed total on the value of the deal for five or six years, whatever it ends up being, probably five, that he still says no. 
And then what do you do from there? Well, you're going to have to go up. To get it done now, you're going to have to overextend to a spot that you might not imagine that it would get to um, a year from now if Patrick Mahomes didn't get more than 40. But I keep, the further we keep going into this, and there's not a lot out there that's behind it other than these teams want to get it done and they're going to get it done, Patrick Mahomes is going to get 40 million bucks a year or $45 million a year, I think. I really do. I really think he's going to get $45 million per year, $10 million more on average than the next best quarter or the next highest quarterback in the league at the moment, that being Russell Wilson's 30, $35 million that he gets on average per year from the Seahawks. Patrick Mahomes is a $10 million a year better quarterback, even though Russell Wilson is great, just based off the market value for him at this given moment. If these guys went out and were free agents, Deshaun is getting no less than 40 per year from somebody. Pat, same way, and I do think that Pat could end up even creeping. If he was a free agent on the open market right now, somebody would come in and say, yep, I'll give that guy $50 million a season. Debate it, hate it, love it, whatever. I really do think that that is what could happen right there. So we keep, again, getting back to the spot of $40 million bucks. I think, is the minimum on a yearly average for Deshaun Watson and again, if you want to get this thing done sooner rather than later, why not go to him now and offer it? I think you have to have the thought in your mind that I'm going to end up paying him $40 bucks a year on average. It's happening. So maybe go ahead and extend a little bit and go to 41 or 42 if you have to. You've set up your cap to where this is what you're, you know, your biggest move that you're worried about and getting it done. Get it finished. Let's do it. Let's grab a phone call real quick before our timeout. We'll hear from James Click next. What's up, Nick? Uh, yeah, quick question. Um, I, I don't know when the last time we were in the situation with with a, a really good young quarterback who could pretty much write his own check. We got you know Deshaun and Dak and then Patrick, right? If for whatever reason, let's just say Patrick settles at thirty five million, because I, I don't know where Dak got this forty million dollars from, but if well, Dak Patrick here's here's the issue real quick. Dak is already on the books this season for thirty one and a half, and Russell Wilson is at thirty five million. So I mean the the scenario of Mahomes settling at thirty five, I think, is just non existent because he's going to get with the Lucky Land slots. You can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, I, I didn't that. know that. I didn't, I didn't know that. So, so then if... If if Mahomes gets you know forty forty seven million, is is, is Deshaun going to want forty? Like how much is that Super Bowl worth when you're negotiating and you see somebody who already got paid after you know the year the year after they won versus you know Deshaun hasn't really done anything yet. He's very good, but we haven't won anything yet. What's that? What do you if you can put a dollar amount on that that premium for already winning the Super Bowl? What would that be? Oh, I mean, appreciate the phone call, Nick. If if with the Super Bowl win and what he's done and where he's at and what he's accomplished and his future, what it tells you, like, if you had the unlimited funds of a no-cap type of system, somebody paid Patrick Mahomes $100 bucks to play for a season. They make enough money to do that. I mean, it, it gets back to what the market is and how the contracts play out. Like, if it goes exactly how Mahomes is going to end up playing it out is 
Dak gets his money first. Probably ends up near that Russell Wilson $35 million a year. Patrick or um, Deshaun Watson comes in behind that. He's going to go to the Texans and say, I'm worth $5 million more a year probably than Dak Prescott, and he's deserving of that. And then from there, Patrick Mahomes can say, all right, there's 40. Pay me somewhere between that and 50. How much does he want to help his team? Probably not a ton because he's deserving of this massive deal now. Maybe he takes some of the haircuts that Brady's taken for years later on in his career. But right now, get your money. I think that Pat Mahomes very well could end up pushing the $50 million a year number. It's crazy. But with the cap going up, as good as he is, I would have no issue if I was a fan of the Chiefs if I saw it tomorrow that they're giving him $50 million bucks per year on average. I'd be happy. Fine with it. He's that damn good. And I'll be the same way if the Texans give Deshaun 45 a year. I want their paychecks. Plain and simple. Quick timeout when we return. James Click of your Houston Astros on Sports Talk 790. Clutch City Sunday here on Sports Talk 790. Michael Connor here with you. Until noon, we'll re-air Astros baseball. 2018 opening day against the Texas Rangers. A win there for the Strohs up in Arlington after the or the first game since the World Series victory in 2017. That team, of course, constructed by Jeff Luno, who is no longer the GM of the team, unfortunately. But there is a new man in charge that I've liked everything that I've heard from him so far. Seems like a very uh, smart guy, clearly, in the same type of uh, mold that uh, Jeff Luno came from in terms of analytics and building a team for the long term. But James Click, uh, in this time, a weird time after he gets this job for the Astros right before the season start, was supposed to start, uh, sitting around trying to learn a lot about the team, but now given the ability to do that in terms of the system and people in it. Uh, visiting with Matt Thomas earlier this week here on 790, here's a little bit of what the Astros GM had to say about this weird time for him and what he's been up to. There are many, many avenues of communication because we have to coordinate all sorts of aspects of, of the possibility of starting back up. You know, Primarily, it's, it's a medical conversation about the logistics of getting the clubhouses uh, to the point where they're safe, uh, maintaining social distance, and how do we do that in a competitive environment. And then, obviously, you have to loop in the business side. You have to loop in the players and the player association. You have to loop in the front offices so that, you know, we can talk about what this will look like. Um, so there are, there are many, many avenues of communication. Some of them are, are very frequent. Some of them are, are less so because there's just less to talk about. Yeah. But, um, I think it's obvious from all of the different plans that have been uh, put out there publicly that, that we are trying to make sure that whenever we get the green light uh, from the medical people, from the governments, uh, in municipalities, all that, that we have a plan that's ready to go so we can get out there as quickly as possible. If I was to look at your daytime or your schedule, and I think you've got some meetings today, and I appreciate you joining me before you get to those, how much are you talking about the operation of the team on the field, and how much, how much of it right now is about just trying to get the sport back on its, back on its feet? Yeah, we're, we're unfortunately a little bit limited on what we can do with the team on the field because there's a transaction freeze. And so it's interesting because I spend a ton of time on the phone every day, sometimes with other general managers, and normally we'd be talking about trades or ways to improve our team or, or ways to, to try to line up on things. And because of the transaction freeze, we're, just, we're unable to do that. And everybody is focused on getting back out there, getting out on the field, figuring out how we do that uh, as safely as possible um, so that, you know, like I said, when we get the green light, that we're ready to go. 
Ross Villarreal here, uh, James. And, and what's the communication like with the players and with Dusty? Is there daily group communication individually? How's that going for you? It's kind of all of the above. Uh, Dusty and I talk regularly, uh, sometimes about about wine, because uh, he's mm. out there in Sacramento at his winery. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot of times we're talking about when we get back out there, you know, what, is, uh, what does he want that to look like? What, how does he want to operate the dugout? Who is he going to be leaning on for, for various decisions? And, and how are we going to run a game plan? And then with the players, it's always a balance, right? Because we want to check in with them as much as possible to let them know that, you know, things are moving or, or we're trying to find a way to, to get this back going. But you also don't want to bother them too much and, and you know, wear out your welcome, so to speak. Um, they're professionals. They know how to keep themselves in shape. And, and unfortunately, you know, there's not a lot of news to give them a lot of times. You can say, hey, this is something that has been considered, but it is nothing more than an idea at this point. It is, it is just a, an idea. It's just a plan in case we get going. So we don't all need to start packing our bags for Arizona, if that's what you're wondering. Yeah, and what is their general feeling, just the players? like? What's the consensus you think in your mind about kind of balancing wanting to play games but also wanting to be with their families and wanting things to be normal even though we can't really do that considering the circumstances? Yeah, and there's, there's no right answer there. Um, but, you know, the guys that I talk to, especially the guys with young families, are, are hypersensitive to the potential to, you know, go into a, a quarantine situation just to start playing games again. Um, and none of us wants to put that burden on our families, and especially those of us with young kids. Uh, and so that is another consideration that goes into all of these different plans about how are we going to start this back up again is, is how do we make sure that not only the, the physical health of the players and the staff is, is protected, but the emotional health of, of all of them dealing with, you know, the stress that this is putting on all of our families. It's a, it's a tough balancing act. All right. Well, obviously, uh, this delay uh, helps uh, Justin Verlander in a sense that he wouldn't be missing time on the disabled list. He spoke with the media last week. Uh, how often can you get in contact with him, uh, perhaps uh, his rehab plan, the doctors he's spoken to? Where are you in terms of where he is? He sounded encouraged. I'm assuming you're sounding encouraged as well. Yeah, and, and I like to let a guy like JV kind of take care of himself. I mean, he is He's a true professional. He knows his body. Uh, he's been through this injury before. So um, he has the experience of having to get back um, or, or how to get back. And he talks with our trainers daily. He keeps us up to speed on exactly what's going on. But he doesn't need me breathing down his neck, asking him, you know, how his lat feels and how his groin feels and everything else. And, and you know, how the ball is coming out and, you know, is he wearing a mask and, and et cetera. So, uh, we, we touch base when, when you know, it, it's called for by other issues or, you know, if I want to just – get to try to take his temperature on what he's thinking about how to start this back up. But in terms of the medical aspects of things, you know, he's, he's a pro and we've got our, our athletic training staff that are keeping a close eye on him. What have you told, not necessarily you per se, but all the general managers about the minor leaguers? Because we're hearing various numbers about how big the rosters are going to be, what kind of activity they will have if they go to Arizona or Florida or go to their home stadium, whatever the end game is. What have you told the minor league system, you know, all – couple hundred of them about what their future is going to be for 2020 yeah it's a really good question and i think you've hit the nail on the head in terms of why this is much more complicated than it seems like on a, on a surface level of trying to get baseball back out there in the field because you're not just dealing with a 26-man roster um and, and especially in these times when there will be additional screening and safety protocols uh for, for entry into clubhouses you know I expect that we're going to rely 
with our minor league rosters right now to help us out, just like we would in any professional baseball season. It's just going to be more, more so these days. And this is another one of those issues that everybody is scrambling and working as hard as they can to try to figure it out. But unfortunately, the best thing that we can say right now is that we don't know. Um, and as much as we don't like to say that and we don't like to tell people that, that there are things that are uncertain, I think all of us are recognizing that a lot of the world, not just baseball, is pretty uncertain right now. And, and James, you're you're a guy who was hired a few months after any other general manager late in the game. So your head was kind of spinning in the fact that you have to learn the Astros organization and you have to get to hit the ground running. And then this happens. Can you just take us through? I mean, what was your mindset from February where it kind of probably felt like a whirlwind to where this all has it slowed down for you or has it just continued to be hectic? What has it been like for you? Well, at least now I have company with 29 other GMs who are also trying to deal with their heads spinning all over the place and, and trying to figure out a bunch of problems that, that we've never really seen before. Uh, yeah, I mean, when I when I first got there, I knew, I think I knew what I was getting into and, and had an idea of, of kind of the, the things that we were going to have to deal with. Um, but it was a very, not a lonely situation, but, but no other team was, was going through that. Now, at least, you know, when you have conversations with other teams and other general managers, all of us can compare notes and say, okay, you know, these are the, the crises that we're having to deal with. These are the things that we're trying to solve. Uh, does anybody have a good idea? And everybody just says, you know, we've never been through anything like this before. So there's no playbook. We're just going to have to figure it out. Last question, and I feel like we've asked you a lot of things that the answers are I don't know, but just some you, you're a reassuring voice, and we trust your valued opinion. Uh, you know, obviously, you're in the middle of spring training, you're trying to get this season started, and then everything comes to a crashing halt. I'm going to assume, James, that most of the players have not faced much live batting. Uh, I'm going to assume that guys are not rigorously throwing like they would as they were getting ready for the start of the season. In your mind, how long would it take for effectively your roster, for that matter, any Major League Baseball roster, to to get tuned up so that first set of games, especially if it's only an 80- or 100-game schedule, we're seeing the players at their best, and then no one can say, well, it took us 20 or 25 games to kind of get acclimated to playing baseball again. Yeah, well, you guys are doing a good job asking really good questions. Um, this is an active conversation among all areas of the organization. It's an active conversation with the players. You know, hitters and pitchers obviously are on very different schedules. Veterans and rookies will be on different schedules. You know, we have debates about how valuable is it to have, uh, you know, spring training games against other teams versus can we just do this inter-squad? With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, you know, how, how valuable is it to, to actually get through nine inning games or uh, back-to-backs or, or, or these kind of things? And there's, there's so much that goes into getting ready for a major league baseball season. You know, fortunately, Dusty's been through this before. I mean, he's been through a couple of strikes. He keeps talking about, you know, back in 81 where they had, you know, a couple of weeks to get ready and they did. So, you know, I, I have that benefit of, of working with somebody who's actually been through something sort of similar to that. And we're going to lean very heavily on, on Dusty and, and obviously the medical staff and the players themselves to try to figure that out. But, 
guy we hit it on the head like you know among all the things that we don't know that's just another one and we'll we'll try to figure it out that's one at least i think that we can we can work out based on dusty's experience our trainers our players we'll, we'll figure it out but um you know that's the reason that we're having discussions about different different roster configurations and things like that to to address the the short runway that we may have that's James Click, Astros GM, earlier this week here on Sports Talk 790. Of course, you can catch that in all of our interviews, sports790.com, the website, and all the podcasts available to you there. Final time out, when we come back, we'll wrap things up for Clutch City Sunday right here on 790. Final segment, Clutch City Sunday here on Sports Talk 790. Michael Connor back here with you. Coming up in just a few minutes, a re-airing of the 2018 Astros opening day victory against the Texas Rangers. They were up there in Arlington for a little day baseball to kick things off. George Springer got it going beautifully with a... Uh, opening day, leadoff home run for the second straight season, took Cole Hamels deep to right field. It was just, there. I've been able to do a lot of awesome things in my time, obviously here at Sports Talk 790 in radio. If you've been listening for a long time, you know I just absolutely love Astros baseball, do a lot of the pre and post game shows throughout the season, and of course throughout all the postseason, get to travel all over the place to take in all those games and do the pre and post game shows from wherever they might be. Uh, 2017, we of course, I didn't go to the Boston trip, but I went to the uh, Yankees series. Uh, then, of course, went to uh, the World Series when they were out in LA as well. And then in 2018, was able to go to Cleveland for the sweep there, went to Boston for the uh, ALCS. And of course, they unfortunately, they unfortunately lost that one in five games, but got to see another ballpark and knock that one off my list, which if you have not been able to go to Boston and see Fenway, you have to do it if you're a baseball fan or sports fan in general at some point. Just to see it is awesome, just like all these ballparks. Excuse me. If I put together my list of ballparks that I've loved to go to, or at least uh, ranking them, Fenway and Dodger Stadium are definitely right up there near the top. Not just because the Astros won the World Series in Dodger Stadium, and if they play this new... Um, thought or this new idea this new proposal for a 2020 season uh, that we mentioned earlier that Ken Rosenthal put out yesterday of the athletic where they would play their division opponents and the the division opposite of theirs in terms of the geographical part of it they'd play the NL West you get to play the Dodgers this year that'd be a lot of fun to go to hell hey or wherever the heck they're playing the Dodgers and deal with that because you think there'd be a little bit of uh, intensity with Cody Bellinger at the plate Carlos Correa at the plate yep I think that there would be uh, that would be kind of cool to have. But those two stadiums were awesome. Uh, Yankee Stadium, it's nice and big, and it's in a dump part of the town, that being the Bronx. I mean, it's it's a dump. When you leave there late at night, definitely you know keep your eyes peeled because it's just it's not a good part of town. But it's Yankee Stadium. It's historic. You know, there's all the cool. Even though it's the newer Yankee Stadium, it's still historic. There's a lot of cool stuff around it. Their fans are terrible, but it's the Yankees fans. What do you expect? Um, that one's great. The biggest, well, the biggest dump was Tampa Bay this past postseason. Going to the Trop was, that place isn't good. 
Cleveland is a massively underrated ballpark. That one was a really, I really enjoyed that ballpark, and it helped that the Astros clobbered the Indians to finish the sweep that day in 2018. Um, but Arlington, that old ballpark in Arlington was, it was kind of dumpy too. It's very, it was very old on the inside. It's fine, like, and you could be playing games there again if you're doing the centralized type of location stuff where, or maybe a team from a different division has to come down. Like I know that they had the thought process, the plan of maybe you play games in Texas, Florida, and in Arizona this season, and you'd play Texas. You could have them here in Houston, clearly. I think that they would have some of the teams in Houston, um, but they would also play in Arlington because they have the new ballpark that's opening, Globe Life Field with a roof. Congratulations on finally figuring out that you need a roof in the state of Texas there, Rangers. Took you long enough to figure that one out. That place, uh, absolute torched earth scorcher, all of it. Excuse me, I'm over here coughing. Um... In the summers was that old ballpark, but it was it was old and it needed to be replaced. But you could be playing games still there because it's still standing, um, as well as the new ballpark. But uh, that day in 2018 was very cool because, like, as an Astros fan, even though I'm in the media, I'm never going to completely hold my or hide my bias on my love for any of the Houston sports teams. And even for me, walking into a place like that, even though I don't get to wear Astros gear to anything that I go to because I'm there for work and that's not allowed. I'm not an Astros employee, which is completely fine. I can deal with it. And I, there's an, there's an underrated hard part of this job, which I know that a lot of you would take, <laughs> is being in an opponent's ballpark as a media member and not being or not being able to cheer and go nuts when something awesome happens, like those three games and and. Uh, the Nationals ballpark this past World Series where they're just obliterating them for three straight games, like biting my tongue when Jordan smacks one out of the ballpark in game five. Like it was like, oh, this is awesome. But you just have to do that. Same goes when we're in Dodger Stadium and same went that day in the 2018 opening day game. We're up in Arlington, Chris Gordy, myself, uh, Matt Thomas made the trip up there for the opening day game in that one. The place was filled, of course. The Rangers want to uh, stick it to you because you've become a good rival in the division now over the last few years, and it's there's been no love lost there between the two teams and the fan bases since this has become a thing. And that day, you felt that tension in the ballpark, and boom, George Springer did it. And I'm just, again, biting my tongue. Going, this is awesome. This is so great. I want to just... And there was a lot of Astros fans there that day. That has been a cool part of this is having the two teams so close to each other to where it's easy to travel for both fan bases. But the Astros fans of the last few years, it helps that the Rangers have not been great, of course. Uh, filling up that ballpark with lots of orange. Uh, in that 2017 season, we made a trip up there, Chris Gordy and I did. We did the afternoon show where uh, it was the first matchup against them in the regular season, and the Astros were off to a blazing hot start in that season and uh, looking like, okay, this is going to be a very special year, but the Rangers were still uh, they were still good at that point, and they were looking like they were going to compete that season as well. They had Hugh Darvish on the mound that day. Dallas Keuchel was going for the Strohs. They had a massive, massive storm come through. It ended up being delayed until, like, I think the, the start time was almost 9 o'clock at night, and it was just an awesome... I mean, everybody stuck around. There was an awesome atmosphere uh, that night, and that day it was an awesome atmosphere in 2018 because they went out there and they did it, and Verlander just mowed down the Rangers all day long, which he's done a lot of. Uh, he did that last season as well. Actually, on May 10th, a year ago, Verlander had a seven-inning shutout performance. Astros got a win. It was a 
uh, two hitter, I believe, or three hitter for the club in in total that day. Uh, Presley followed it up. Ozuna followed it up. They got three solo home runs off of Lance Lynn. It's always fun when you beat the Texas Rangers because, again, they've become hated and it's not all that much uh, love lost between the two. There have been some uh, intense moments between the two teams where benches have cleared over the past few years and all that. It's just it's a very fun rivalry, and it's a rivalry that I miss uh, early in the season. The Astros weren't going to play the Rangers a ton early in the season. I think one or two uh, series to this point, maybe just one series against the Rangers to this point of the season. They were going to see a lot of them in the second half of the season. Uh, they were going to play the A's basically all 19 games against them through the month, uh, basically done by the end of the month of June, I believe it was, or maybe early July. And then there was a ton of matchups against the Rangers later in the season. But again, I've been able to do a lot of cool things in this sports world and getting to go to ballparks and be in the building when the Astros do things on the road is definitely one of the cooler things to do and uh, no no issues with the two trips that I've made for media member uh, appearances where we've done shows and whatnot uh, than being there for the two wins that I've seen the 2017 regular season game the 2018 opening day one and then you add in all those postseason ones I just cannot wait personally and selfishly to get it back because um, you know we'd be in the middle of it again the middle of the grind right now watching it and having a lot of fun with it I'm sure because the team was going to be very good once again uh, hoping that they would continue this run that they've been on Um, and then the postseason was going to be here once again and I get again the selfish part of it getting to travel and see some ballparks and maybe that'll include some different places this season if we're able to do that be completely fine with it Uh, I expect that I'll probably end up having to make another trip to Yankee Stadium at some point in the future for an Astros postseason run, and that's okay. Don't mind watching the Astros. They finally went up there and won games there this last year. I watched game uh, games number uh, two and or not games two. I watched games three and four yesterday, and a lot of game six, of course, which was the Jose Altuve walk off to send it to the World Series. That trip of all of them was the most exhausting one. This look. I'm complaining about very little tiny things, but my God, after this October this past year, I was just worn out. I never have slept so hard in my life after we got done with that World Series than I did this past year, and um, I'm just absolutely looking forward to getting it once again, uh, hopefully here sooner rather than later. But appreciate all you that listened this morning. Can't make it happen as always. We'll be back next Sunday. I'll be back with you next morning, tomorrow morning, though, for the Sean Salisbury Show, 6 to 10. You'll actually get six straight hours of me on your radio tomorrow. I'll be hanging out for the In the Trenches show following as well, 10 to noon with Chris Gordy. Indy Kalu has the week off this week. Uh, so Chris and I will have you for a couple of hours from 10 to noon as well. So plenty to get to, of course, in our world without sports. And go enjoy the rest of your day here on 790. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.